Welcome back to the program. Well, this is a Faith and Family Friday edition. Let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of the ways that you care for us in Jesus' name, for the ways that you bless us, protect us, watch over us, and provide for us. And Lord our God, I ask that you would truly today give us a greater awareness of all of the ways that you are for us an almighty Father who protects, who provides, and who leads. I thank you, Father, for sending your Son to be the Good Shepherd, the Shepherd of our souls, who is with us always till the end of time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being present to us. Thank you and praise you, O Holy Spirit of God, who cries out from within the core of our hearts, Abba, Father, who gives us that intimate communion with the Father through the Son and prompts us on the way we should walk. O blessed Trinity, hear the cry of my heart today to honor and glorify you in this program and that each of those who are listening would be blessed, blessed with an insight, blessed with a a sense of direction, a, a sense of passion and mission to glorify you, Lord, in all that we say, think, and do. And I make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the Office of Readings this past week, um, the second reading is is where they, uh, where the church will identify writings from saints, uh, from uh, prominent uh, church documents, popes. And St. Ignatius of Antioch was... Um, was uh, prominent uh, for several days. There were excerpts from a couple of his letters, basically on his way in, in captivity to Rome, where he would be martyred. And one of the things that jumps out, um, really, like with a degree of clarity that would probably be surprising to you, because of the time in which he's writing it, right in the first quarter of the second century. So very, very early in the life of the church, you have mentioned about the structure of the church, the hierarchical structure of the church, the roles of leadership in the church. They're identified as bishop, priest, and deacon. Yes, that's right. Even back then, in that first quarter of the second century, the way that the Christian church, the way that the Catholic church, as it spread, in terms of its institutional structure, the, the ordained leaders, the successors of the apostles who took up leadership roles, they were very clearly identified in these three roles that are, uh, that are expressed today in the sacrament of uh, ordination, the sacrament of holy orders, bishops, priests, and deacons. And uh, and actually, there's a there's a document that is earlier than this, uh, Clement of Rome. Uh, there's a letter of Clement, and in his letter, and that's probably like in the last decade of the first cent- of the first century, you have the same reference that in the Church of Rome, there are these three roles: bishop, priest, and deacon. And uh, I bring that up for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that uh, I mentioned that this today, this program is, a, is about faith and family. And if you have followed along with me on this sort of journey on Sound Insight over the course of years, you'll, you'll notice that I tend to focus in on three themes, that a parent is supposed to have in the lives of their kids— and in a very special way, I'll focus in on the, the role that the father is intended to have in the life of the family, to lead, provide, and protect. Lead, provide, and protect. And, and those three roles aren't just made up. I didn't just think, oh, let me try to describe conceptually or abstract and stand back and look at families and, and identify what ought a father to do. What, would, what roles ought a father to play? Oh, lead and provide and protect. No, the, these are associated with our baptismal configuration, conformation into Jesus Christ as members of his body. We are anointed 
at our baptism. And that anointing evokes this anointing in the history of Israel, where priests, prophets, and kings were anointed. And priests, prophets, and kings map out very powerfully with the call to lead, provide, and protect. Kings lead, priests provide spiritually, and prophets, through their proclamation of the truth, protect God's holy people. And so that's also governing, sanctifying, and teaching the three roles that the priest plays in his own parish, the bishop plays in his own diocese, the pope, together in union with the bishops of him, governing the church, governing, teaching, sanctifying the church, the body of Christ on earth. So this is not a small thing. And this, this, uh, this way of, of, of seeing our roles, we can, we can dive into them more deeply. We can break them open and we can reflect on them more fully. And, and I want to do that today by um, utilizing a document. Uh, well, it's more of a blog post than a document, but I think it's also like a downloadable resource from a website called All Pro Dads. Now, who want, look, if, if you're going to, you know, if you want to be a dad, you don't want to be on the sidelines. You want to make the team. You don't want to just make the team. You want to be in the game. You don't want to just be in the game. You want to be uh, a player who makes a contribution. No, you, you want to. No, you actually want to be able to star on that team. No, no, you actually want to be all pro. You want to be among the best of the best, <laughs> right? So it's a football analogy, and it's a good one, right? So no, no dad says I just want to be mediocre. No dad says I just want to sort of slough on by and then get on with my life. Uh, well, no dad worth his salt, right? So, but I, I, the, the fathers that I'm speaking to that are here, and you know what, more broadly, it's going to be parents and even grandparents that if you're hearing my voice and you're going to hear me reflect on this document, that um, you're going to see relevant ways that this applies to your lives. So I'm going to do a living dialogue with this document, uh, with this, again, blog post resource uh, that will hopefully um, get you reflecting and thinking about what does it mean for me to be a leader, provider, and protector in my own life. And, and for most of us, that's going to show up in our families, in our families where we lead, provide, protect, govern, and, and teach, and sanctify. That, 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 that's how God is at work. That's how God established things. That those in, in, in leadership, those in headship, have that role. That, that comes from Jesus Christ himself, the head of the body, that Christ himself is going to move through his body in his communions, in his families, in the family of God, uh, through leading, providing, and protecting, teaching, governing, and sanctifying. And, uh, and this all came to me when I was looking at the Office of Readings, and I'm like, my goodness, this goes all the way back to the beginning. Right When you read the scriptures, there was still a sort of working things out. There was sort of a living um, unfolding of the early church regarding roles, like what roles would be accepted and institutionalized, because you have in Ephesians references to uh, prophets and teachers. And, um, and, and so you have these different roles. You have prophets that are wandering around the Acts of the Apostles. And so uh, downstream of that, by several decades, there was this coming together, there was this maturing of the institutionalizing, if you will, of these roles into bishop, priest, and deacon. And, uh, and, and as I listened to, or as I read, how St. Ignatius of Antioch was describing the role of the bishop, he was associating the bishop with God the Father, the priest with God the Son, and the deacon, in, in a certain sense, with God the Holy Spirit. But what was most striking for me was that the way the bishop was to be a radiation, a manifestation, an expression of God the Father's fatherly care. And I loved, I loved that. It was very powerful for me. Because when I reflect on the meaning of being a father, I know, I know that, like what St. Paul says in Ephesians 3, 14 and on, that uh, every father on earth 
gets his name before from the one before whom we kneel god the father you know we come before the father and we kneel before him before whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth takes its name and so i do sense i feel in, in the deepest meaning of that word i feel so deeply the way that my kids aware of it or not have this sense washing over them of what god the father's like what does it mean that we call god father well they have a concrete experience a day-to-day lived experience of this guy right here that i'm my thumbs are pointing at that's me that dad they're calling me father and so they aware of it or not call god father in prayer every time we pray every time we begin prayer and so i want my life to be purified and cleansed molded and shaped broken open and poured out so that the fatherliness of god has room to operate the fatherly care of god will come out into the open and be made manifest and so when i think about the let's call it the the ultimate framework for my role as a father it gets traced back to god the father and and let's kind of drive this home because I, I am going to get to this document, don't worry, uh, which gives these 10, top 10 things dads ought to do for their kids. That, that's how I got to the site. <laughs> I Googled that. 10 things dads, uh, the t- top 10 things dads ought to do for their kids. And this was the top article. So I'm trusting Google search. And it means lots of folks have gone to this one. And I'm like, okay, good enough. I'm going to reflect live on these top 10 things according to them and then see how I, I sort of, how I reflect on it. What, is the, what does that mean to me? How would I say that? How would I shift that? So I, I'm excited to do that with you all. But let me start with this first point. And the first point is that because God the Father has established the world in this way, that he has sent his son into it and established a church with a hierarchy like this and a family unit as the, the, the core the, the, the fundamental cell of society and the way of the church. You know, the first manifestation of the church is in the family. And so I want to make sure that in this family, God the Father has room to operate. God the Father in his glorious manifestation, his fatherly care has room to operate. And that means I need to have a relationship with the Father. That means I need to seek the Father. That means I need to be talking to the Lord Jesus every day. Reveal to me the Father. Unfold for me who the Father is. Please, Father, I come to you through Jesus and I say, please, love me with your fatherly care and love my kids through me. I'm sorry, love your kids that are also my kids through me. Father, be a father to them through my fathering. Did you hear that? Father, be the father in exercising your fatherly care through my fatherhood. I make space, I give you permission, and I don't even know all of what that will mean. But I seek that out, Father. Please stretch me, enlarge my life, enlarge my heart. Make me more generous so that your shocking generosity would be made more generous in their lives. Where I experience a sense of the Father using me in that way, it's one of the most beautiful things that I can experience as a father. But when I fall short, as I fall short, in my speech, in my actions, in my attitudes, 
in how I spend my day, in what my kids see me doing, in what my kids don't see me doing, in how my kids see me engaging with them, where those instances happen where I fall short. Those are the greatest sadnesses. Those are the things that make me sad as a father. Back in a minute. Okay, welcome back to the program. And I mentioned to you, this is Tom Curran on this Faith and Family edition of the program on this Friday. I am um, looking at an article on a website. And the website's called All Pro Dad. And honestly, it doesn't identify who wrote this article. But the article is 10 Things Loving Fathers Do for Their Children. And it would be actually an interesting exercise, right? So it, one of the things that you could do is 10 things loving fathers do for their children. You can put in parent, grandparent, because uh, you're going to see, again, some linkage between these things. Mother, sorry, <laughs> parents. Um, but uh, think of yourself. If you had to write that list before you even hear what, what these 10 are, what would you say? What would be 10 things that, you as a father, uh, a mother, uh, a grandfather, a grandmother that you do for your children or grandchildren, um, worth thinking about, worth thinking about. Okay, so here we go. So I'm going to go through their list of 10 and offer my own reflections in response. Okay, so number one, and, and my guess is this, is that, you know, when they identify these, there's probably a little bit of importance to the ordering, right? So the one that's first is probably either the most important in their minds or one of the most important. And, and I think that it kind of plays itself out um, as I look at the, as I kind of scroll through the 10. I didn't spend a lot of time on it because I wanted to make this fresh and, and real for you. Okay, so here's the first one. Loving fathers love their children's mother. Loving fathers love their children's mother. Um, love your wife without reservation. You can't do much more for your kids than that. Um, and, and and there it is. That's simple. Love your wife without reservation. You can't do much more for your kids than that. Love their children's mother. And and so I say, yeah, absolutely, for sure. That's a very important thing. And I think what I would say is this, that I know their phrase like "love your life, love your wife without reservation." Um, I don't really, I don't know if I really like that word. I would say "love your wife with uh, maximum reverence and respect." Like love your wife in a way that is respectable, is is noble, is honoring. Like without reservation, that for me um, means. Either that you're going to love them like conceptually, meaning, look, I love you even though I hate what you're doing. I love you even though I hate what you're saying. I love love you without reserve, but boy, I would rather have you not do that in front of the kids. Right. So I I I love my wife with lots of reservations, not reservations about her as a person, but about I want her to be loved by me in front of my children in a way that my kids show that I honor her, in a way that my kids see that I respect her, in a way that my kids see that I am willing to sacrifice for her, in a way that my kids will recognize that I am anticipating her needs, that Love takes the form of affirmation, celebration, and um, even, how about this, anticipating ways to surprise her. And even as I say that, when I think about like the various manifestations of like, how does a father, what's the most important, what's an important thing a father does for the children is, is really I think what this all pro dad website is getting at is look, this is really, really powerful and important because it's going to help establish a spirit in the home. It's going to foster a sense of openness 
in communicating, in sharing of life, in enjoying each other, and and honestly provide a model for what married life is all about. Uh, I mentioned that one of the things that happens in in a family, especially we have an awareness of this in like Catholic Christian families, is that um, we uh, we are going to manifest something of God the Father to our kids, we fathers, by just how we how we're present and how we love them and how we live in their midst as a father. But another aspect of this is our kids unwittingly it just washes over them, come away with an understanding of the roles in a home of a husband and a wife. How does a wife treat her husband? How does a husband treat his wife? How do they spend time together? What do they do to enjoy being together? Like, do they enjoy being married? Are they harsh? Are they critical? Do they fight and argue? Are they always in conflict? Um, Like, do they really enjoy being married together? Are they, like, uh, uh, battling to have more time together? Or are they, like, basically living somewhat independent lives but in the same home? Right? You You can kind of go through that, and it's like, when it says that loving fathers love their children's mother, there's a lot to that. There's a, a lot to that um, when you want to break that open and unfold it. And that's something that, like, as as I'm sharing this with you all, I'm thinking, among the ways that I had just, like, brainstormed quickly with you all, hadn't thought about it in advance, like, how do I love my, my children's mother, um, that one of the ways that I have not done as good a job with that as I ought is by surprising Carrie, like surprising her, like with gifts or with um, expressions of love that uh, she wasn't expecting because it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't Mother's Day or her birthday or anniversary or Valentine's Day or whatever. No, it was just you know, I delight in you, and so I, I got you some flowers, or I picked this gift up for you, or, uh, you know, I, I got you this, you know, this gift that I think you'd enjoy. And and just to do that, to delight her. Uh, so taking initiative to delight my wife, that's an area I'm going to work on. So Carrie's probably happy that she wasn't here for this program because she's going to get a benefit. <laughs> I'm going to love my wife better and my kids may like pick up a cue that it's happened. Maybe I'll even get them involved in it to say, hey, I want to surprise your mother. I want to do something special that she's just going to really enjoy just because I love her. And, and I want to do that. Can you help me figure out what should we do? Or what can I do? And um, maybe even get the kids involved in it. And what a delightful thing for the kids to be part of a conversation like that. And I think that maybe the only times I've ever really, really done that are in connection to like holidays, um, that it's sort of the expected thing. So come on, kids, kind of like help me out here. Let's, uh, this is something, this is a kind of a duty. So there, there has less, I think it has less power than if it has that more spontaneous initiative taking. So that's mine. Um, I, I'm going to share one that I think that many men will benefit um, from doing um, it with regards to, do you want to do this for your children? You want to be a loving father to your children? Love their children's mother? Repent, even if it's just before the Lord to start, of harsh speech and negative attitudes and sins of omission when it comes to reaching out. So harsh speech. I think that one of the ways that men will assert themselves in in a way that is like maybe trying to assert dominance, uh, have the upper hand, is to settle for mean, hurtful, or sarcastic speech. Being short, being impatient or unkind, and I, I don't know, it's just something that I sense. Um, I, I'm not saying that, you know, guys have said this to me or wives have said this to me. It's just something that I, I get. 
I, I sense, I just sense that men are more likely to use a quick, uh, a quick use of speech in a way that is harsh, in a way that is harsh. Now, I, I'm not getting into the mom side, the wife side, right? Because I know that um, wives sometimes can be a bit, um, let's see, uh, picky. Um, <laughs> but this is about being a loving father to kids. So I'm not going to float into those things. Let me just say, um, pray and ask for forgiveness, at least of the Lord, if not your wife, of harsh speech and the hurt that causes. But I also said an attitude, sometimes an attitude that can be one that is, frankly, just less than kind, just less than like sacrificial in terms of, I I really want to know what I can do for you right now, versus, hey, look, this is me time. This is time where I get to do the things that I enjoy doing. I need a break. And, and so I don't have to pay as much attention to you as, uh, as really, uh, as, as love would require. So that, that's, that's something that I also sense that, uh, husbands could do a better job in terms of loving their children's mother. Uh, and then, and then the last one was just in terms of behavior. Just the, the willingness to put down the smartphone, walk away from the video game, or from even the hobby that can absorb so much time and attention, and just spend time with, spend more quality time with your wife. Okay, there you go. That's the first one. Love your children's mother. The immediate thing I thought of, which was interesting, was uh, my last word on this first one, I promise, was love their children's mother. Well, not only do my kids have a mom, they also have a spiritual mom, the Blessed Mother. And I am, I am cognizant of the importance that um, loving the Blessed Mother and expressing devotion to the Blessed Mother and talking warmly about the place of the Blessed Mother in my life, the impact that actually has on my kids. And so loving the Blessed Mother, loving Mary washes over the kids. In fact, um, fascinating thing is unfolding in the life of my oldest daughter. Um, she had reached out to me about a month ago and had shared that she was struggling with some things and we uh, talked about it on the phone and, and talked a few times about it. And, um, and she texted me and said to me a few times through the, through the past month, I've been praying a rosary every day. I've been making a novena to, to St. Anne and to St. Joseph and really just seeking the, the intercession of the saints in my regard in this, in this challenging situation that I'm facing. And just recently, she reached out to me by text and said, I'm going to um, consecrate myself to the Immaculate Heart. And... Uh, into the sacred heart of Jesus and to St. Joseph. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot of consecrations. But what was so, like, it just, it warmed my heart. It just was, it was very powerful to me for a few reasons. The first was, in a time of trial and difficulty, it didn't lead her away from the Lord, and it didn't lead her away from her Catholic roots, but it led her more deeply into them. And really, 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 I don't think she would have been led into those Catholic roots had it not been for the home life that she was brought up in and the visible place of the Blessed Mother, as well as the reference and the devotion that we express to the Blessed Mother, especially through the rosary in our home. And so uh, last thing, this is sort of fascinating little thing about this, is that uh, it's happening right around the same age that it happened for me when I made my consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so I shared that story with her. I, I was in the seminary and I was walking through a study room that was really never used, but there were, it was like a small library, just basically the, the most of the walls of this room, three of the four walls of the room just had books on them, just were bookshelves. And I just said, Lord, bring me to a book. Lord, bring me to a book. And so just wandered and just reached and grabbed the book off the shelf. And it was true devotion to Mary. 
True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. And it there promotes the consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so I did that my freshman uh, my freshman year, I think it was my freshman year, if not my sophomore year, uh, oh no, sorry, my second year in the seminary. I was the same age as Mary Grace. Now how cool is that? And it's just this like really neat way that I see like the generational thing going on where uh, things that, that happen in one generation get are handed down. And so this whole idea of cleansing the family tree, healing the family tree, binding and casting away evil that can pass down through the generations and praying for an unbinding and, and the setting free of the inheritance of blessings the Lord has. I, I tell you, I really see signs of both the brokenness and sin as well as of the spiritual blessings, graces, giftings, and anointings that are traveling across the generations. It's so interesting. Okay, that was a little bit off, a little bit far afield, but let me come back around to uh, 10 things loving fathers do for their children. I'm reflecting on uh, this article found on All Pro Dad. All Pro Dad. And um, I am actually up against another break. And so uh, when we get back, I'm going to have to go a little faster if I'm going to get through all 10. And I'm going to get through all 10. All right. Yes. Yes, I will. Loving fathers keep their word. Okay. (laughs) All right. I'll be back in a moment with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I'm I'm on this website, allprodad.com. I want to be an all pro. I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want to just just kind of go through the motions. No, I want to be magnificent. I want to be great as a father. I want to be uh, amazing in how I love my kids, right? And, and I think you do too. So I'm just reflecting on this list of 10. The first one was love, loving fathers love their children's mother. The second one is love them unconditionally, right? Okay, that you figure, okay, this is sort of a pro-family and, and there's elements of faith on this page as well. You figure that that's, that's going to show up. Love them unconditionally. Make sure that your children know that you love them no matter what. Don't confuse this with permissiveness. Unconditional love does nothing to encourage the wrong kind of behavior. In fact, kids who are secure in their father's love tend to act out less, not more. A line that my daughter wrote to me who was in a really difficult moment in her life, really rebellious and struggling mightily to follow the house rules, to follow the the way of life and the expectations that we had set up in the home. And so as she was struggling with them, she wrote a letter to me. And, um, and she did it in a moment where she was really upset because of one of the house rules, really upset. And um, I had punished her because she had broken one of these rules. Um, and, and she's 18 years old, right, at that time. Um, and she wrote a letter, gave it to me, and uh, actually slid it under the door later that night. And when I read it, she said this, Dad, Thank you for loving me enough to not let me get away with things that you know are not good for me. Dad, thank you for loving me enough to not let me get away with things that you know are not good for me. That was one of the most profound things I'd ever read from, well, a teenager, but from one of my kids to me about their insight into the meaning and into the source of how it was we were parenting them and how it was I was applying an act of disciplining in her regard. She was able to recognize that this came from love. And so one of the most challenging things, fathers, that you will face is the, is the simultaneous loving of them as the child of God, your child, that precious gift that each one of your children is, right? And yet, 
never celebrating, promoting, um, accepting sinful behavior as good or as simply their choice or as something you have to tolerate or as something that the world has gone so far beyond the church and therefore you don't have to, you're just going to have to live and let live. I tell you, fathers, if you have kids who end up like leaving your home or saying they're going to sleep with their boyfriend or their girlfriend or they are going to, uh, you, you, you establish what these, what these boundaries are and, and you say you are free to do that and I love you, but you're not free to do that and live in my home. You're not free to do that and expect that we're going to acknowledge it, celebrate it, accept it. And you know what? There will be consequences to this. So if if they have a behavior around like they're going to live with someone, you just don't go to the house and that person can't come to your house. Oh, that's harsh and that's mean and that what that you're going to cut off the relationship. No, they are going to realize that we love them enough not to let them get away with something that we know is not good for them, that doesn't honor God, it doesn't honor them. In fact, it's setting them up for utter utter failure in their relationship itself, just as a for instance. But so many things that the world will celebrate, you in love, in your unconditional love, will have to set a boundary that is in effect saying, I love you enough to set this boundary and to say to you that it's out of love, that I will not let you get away with this. It's because of love. So, Loving them unconditionally is not as easy as it sounds, right? It, 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 the, the no matter what, yes, you're my daughter, I will love you. You're my son, I will love you. But what you're doing is hateful. It's hateful to God, and I hate that you're doing it. And to be able to keep that reality in front of them, that is not easy. But that's, a, that's one of the things a loving father does for their children. Okay. Let's move forward. Third, the third of these 10 things that loving fathers do for their children, grow up, grow up. We're talking about us here, not the kids. Children don't want another buddy. They want a dad. They want someone who thinks things through, makes tough decisions, engages life with responsibility, someone they can count on. And for me, this is something that, again, you'll often learn this by the way that you were brought up. And so some parents just, some kids and some of us that are now parents grew up in homes where uh, dads did a good job of that. Like I'm the grown up and you're the kid. I'm not your best friend. I'm here to let you know that, uh, you know, this is what I expect from you. And, and here's how I'm going to form and mold you as a father. Um, it's, and, and I want you to be able to watch me that I can have fun with you. I can enjoy being with you, but I'm not going to try to act cool in the way that you, uh, in the way that kids your age act cool. I'm not going to mimic your speech or your dress, uh, or uh, try to engage with you and your friends in a way that I'm now down at your level. I'm just one of you. Now that doesn't mean like I play basketball with my kids, but I don't talk about the things they talk about in the way that they talk about them before or after the games right? So this is the grow up element of it. Um, you can be with them, you can have fun with them, but also don't strive to be one of them. Okay. I, I agree with that. I think that's a good one. Number four. Number four is be there. And this is a, like, this one's really quick because this is one that, you know, you hear about uh, and, and it makes so much sense. Be there. Quality time is all well and good, but it is nothing on quantity time. Make the time. Everyone has the same 24 hours available. Make yours count. And um, this one, this one I know and I feel deeply because of scarcity. And when I say scarcity, I mean that, I mean three things by it. The first is, trust me when I tell you, 
the time that your kids are living in your home flies by faster than you imagine. And I say that with only two kids out of my home, and my third one is about to leave for college next month. And it just sort of dawned on us, wait a minute, she's actually going to leave the area when she's at college. She's essentially gone from our home. The time in our life where she's going to be living with us day to day for an extended stretch, that's pretty much come to an end. So the be there of that quality time comment is a a quantity time is really striking because the clock is ticking. Carrie actually, she says she gets sad because time is flying by so fast for our youngest. Our youngest is now eight years old, soon to be nine years old. My goodness, like we have left behind stages that unless God does something spectacular, you know, supernatural, we're not entering back into again with the young, with the young ones. And so, um, so that's the first meaning of scarce. The second is there's also a, a painful scarcity for me having nine kids that having quantity time, that's going to be a lot easier if there's one kid or two kids. Um, and so the reality of, um, having lots of kids, the being there has to be that much more intentional, even that much more planned, right? In order to be able to ensure there are those one-on-one memories, there are those two-in-one memories, the three-in-one memories, right? So I would take my kids out to lunch when they were at school, and I would sort of, you know, take my time going around to make sure. And, and that was just, that was a great memory that my kids had of me going up and taking them out to lunch. The third meaning of scarcity around being there for time is that as the kids get older and they reach their teen years, guess what? It's that um, uh, Cats in the Cradle song where the kids, they want to spend more time with their friends than with dad. So that's the other meaning of scarcity. So absolutely, quality time is so very important. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. One last thing I'll say about this quality time thing um, is as a way that you know it's a, one of the loving things that parents, that fathers do for their children, is that uh, just be aware of how you show up in terms of your use of time in front of your kids. Do your kids see you just on their on your device, on your smartphone all the time, or watching a video, or watching a movie, or or doing your own thing, and that somehow like they're interrupting you, that they're somehow not like of uh, that much importance in your life? Are you only engaging with them when you need to correct them? Or do you seek them out and say, hey, let's play a game together. Hey, what are you doing? How's your day going? Hey, why don't we take a walk? Let's go for a ride. Hey, do you want to go shopping with me? Hey, let's go shoot some baskets. Hey, we want to work out together, right? So is our own time just about ourselves or is our time constantly having this awareness of I want to be with my kids and engage with them while there's still time? Okay. That's number four. Number five. Number five is provide. Again, I'm looking at this list from allprodad.com. Ten things loving fathers do for their children. Number five is provide. As best you can, material provision can be tough when jobs are lost and tough times hit. However, you can always provide a stable home with love and affection. Um, I think that this is one of those where uh, you heard me say at the beginning of the program, lead, provide, protect. And when I think provide, the first dimension of provision, the lasting, enduring dimension of provision is in the dimension of faith. It's in the life of God. It's in their life of faith. And so the first dimension of provision that I have in their regard is the spiritual dimension. Am I praying for them? Am I praying with them? Am I teaching them to pray? Am I setting an example of faith? Am I crying out to God to bless and anoint them and, and, and provide spiritually provision? Yes, 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 it also means the material provision. And so uh, you can do that first layer, like I said, without interrupting a lot of your day. And so I know that when it comes to the financial provision, I have had to depend so much on God. 
so much on God's generosity. Because I got to tell you, I mean, you know, I graduated with a degree in philosophy and in theology, and I started working for the church. And my first check with a master's degree in theology, coming and working for uh, my first half month, I made $625. Yes! <laughs> and that was in 1989, okay? That was about 30 years ago. And let me just say, making $15,000 a year, that was not a lot of money. But I was thrilled because I was working for the church. I was doing church ministry work. I was single. It's like, what do I need money for? I get to serve the Lord. So serving in the church through my life as my principal work has meant relying on God, not only to provide for the ministry, but to say, Lord, give me the gifts, the insight, the, the understanding to be able to provide for my family without surrendering the mission work of my ministry. And that's where the tent-making work came in. St. Paul made tents so he could offer the gospel free of charge. I started to do executive coaching and strategy assistance, working with uh, business owners, senior leaders, senior executives, CEOs, on growing their company by growing them as people. I had never taken a class in business. I'd never taken a class on how to coach, but I was coaching senior leaders at Boeing on how to grow their teams. <laughs> Why? How could I possibly do that? Well, my whole background was in communication and uh, like relationships and building community and building teamwork and helping understand dynamics that happen on teams and exercising leadership and growing as leaders. All that stuff I knew from my church work. And guess what? The people that are in church are also the people that are at Boeing and that are at work. And so I was helping people be better people. So that's why I could do what I've done for the last 20 years. Um, and the Lord has used that beautifully to be able to provide, to complement what I would get by working full-time doing church work. So uh, eventually, as you know, four years ago, almost five years ago, I had to shut down the ministry in order to do more of this coaching and consulting work just because the financial need was just that much greater um, with having now nine kids, you know, and the schooling involved and just all the expenses. It's expensive. God bless us. But God has been so faithful. That's what I bring up, the fidelity uh, in terms of provision. Okay, let's continue on. I've got five more to go here in the last five minutes. Discipline is the sixth uh, loving thing that a loving father does. Children appreciate an even hand, balance, accountability, and love-drenched discipline. Well, I like that phrase, love-drenched discipline. It's called consistency, and without clearly defined boundaries, it's very difficult to grow up. Discipline, absolutely. It's something that Carrie and I work on. Carrie does it so very well. I'm, I play catch up a little bit regarding how to discipline my kids, but I've learned that I need to be a corrector and not just the connector. I need to be able to establish uh, my voice of authority to have my kids follow in a way. That's what, a, that's what a disciple does, follows a way, and you need to follow the right way. So you've, if you listen to our Faith and Family Friday programs, you know how we attempt to establish discipline in our home with family meetings, with goal setting happening at different times of the year, checking in with them, and confronting them as needed. Number seven, value education. Don't just read to them, read with them. Don't just fuss about grades, get involved with their homework. Don't just talk about learning, be a hands-on advocate. Yes, yes, and yes. I do that by being very involved in my kids' education. I thank God for the gift of Kerry, a wonderful partner to me. Um, with her background, her degrees, her uh, education, her advanced degree, master's degree, and, and her um, undergraduate in education, uh, it's super helpful having her around the house, being a master teacher, but I'm also right there too. Um, and, and we put them in schools that will challenge them, that will be a, a great place for them to grow in faith, but also to challenge them to grow educationally as well. That's why we choose classical schools. Number eight, raise them to leave. 
The simple goal of being a family and parenting our children doesn't look any more complicated than this. Raise them up, well-equipped, to leave home and to establish faithful lives. This is something that I'm learning more about, to be honest with you, because my oldest is a a daughter, 21, and then a a 19-year-old, and then now an 18-year-old heading off to college. So I'm becoming much more attuned to this idea that I need to be able to really focus in on what are they going to do to provide for their family growing up? Now, my first thought is really for my boys, right? What are they going to do to be a principal provider for their family um, if they're called to be married? And um, it's something I think about. It's something I think about in terms of finding what are my kids good at? How can I help mold their skills? How can I help complement what they're good at with things that they're not that good at to be able to help them grow in those things? How do I hand on the insights I have from my own career to help them be successful? At a very early stage, they'll be getting a great education by my mentoring them, my helping them to be equipped. I've also done that for my daughters a little bit differently in terms of saying, okay, what skills do you have? Let me find ways to you to advance those skills and those gifts so that they can also help you to be able to be successful in a career. And if the Lord is calling you to be a wife and a mother, to be able to do something that is also beautiful and and a wonderful gift in the home itself. Okay. Uh, Number nine, teach them to take responsibility. That for me is somewhat like discipline, number uh, number six. Kids who learn to duck responsibility and avoid costs sooner or later will fall fat, flat on their faces. Um, loving fathers make sure their children know how to own up, clean up, and move forward. Take responsibility. For me, that's take, it's be accountable. Um, so that's, I think that's the word I would use. Teach them to be accountable. And we use our family meetings to raise up the standards, but honestly, we don't follow through quite enough with regards to kids, you know what your chores are, whose chore is it, who's helping with the dinner in this way, what what part of the house are you supposed to keep clean, what are the major chores that you work on in the yard, all of those sorts of things. We do definitely have the charts and um, give them concrete things that they are supposed to do. I'm focusing right now on giving my kids hard work to do and uh, find a job or I'll find you work and you won't get paid for it. So that's been actually working out quite well. Okay, number 10, teach them to love this life. The best predictor of happiness in children is happiness in their parents. If we learn how to love this life and then give that blessing to our kids, they'll be well prepared for this satisfaction. I think this one's just wrong. (laughs) Teach them to love life Teach them to love everlasting life. Teach them to love the life that God has poured forth into them. Frankly, teach them to love God who is the author of life. I think that, that was, that's the biggest gap in, in this, uh, this 10 things loving fathers do to love their children is teach them to love God. Teach them to like rejoice in the glory of being created by this infinite loving God who elevated them to the status of children of God and has a plan for them to be with him forever in heaven. That's the vision to present to your kids over and over and over. Point them to heaven, to God, and to eternal life. That'll make them happy in this life. All right, I'm at the end of my program. God bless your day.